0: Hi there, Glocal citizens, I'm your host, Florence Adu, and I'm back for another episode of the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. Today, my guest is the magnificent Mohameda L. muhajir She is the director of strategy at Waxprint Media, which is an a crop-based digital strategy marketing and consulting firm. And she is a global brand and digital marketer with just a wealth of experience working with major brands, household names that we know about. She's a filmmaker. She is definitely a go-getter. So we're happy to host her this week on the podcast. Mohameda, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit more about you and what you do.
1: Okay, great. Yes. Well, um, I work with the digital marketing agency based in Accra called Waxfront Media. And we do digital marketing. We do public relations and help brands really use digital in media to connect with consumers, to grow their businesses. So yeah, we work with a lot of companies um, based in Africa, but also outside as well.
0: Hmm. Muhammad, where are you from? Because you're here in Ghana, but obviously you have an accent that is similar to mine. Where are you from?
1: Um, so I grew up in the U.S. and mainly on the East Coast in Philadelphia, New York. I went to school in D.C., but I was actually born um, in California in the Bay Area. So I lived there for the first time. Five years mm-hmm. of my life and then moved to the East Coast. Um, but then I've been a global citizen for most of my adult life, actually. Right. Um. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so now I'm here in Ghana. I've been here for like six years, past six years.
0: Okay, so you call Accra your local.
1: Yes, Accra is definitely my local. I'm not going anywhere.
0: Right, All right. So you're a marketer, you're into strategy. Tell us more about the background that has led you to this place? Because not many people would just say, mm, first of all, decide that they're going to be a global citizen, especially most Black Americans. So you have, um, not, I guess, unique in some way in terms of you being just very flexible and adventurous in, in your pursuits. So tell us a little bit more that background and what inspires you.
1: Okay. So in terms of like marketing side or living in Ghana...
0: So both. So first of all, how did you become the marketer that you are? Like what led you to decide that that was, you know, that was the profession that interested you? And then how did that then transport you to Ghana?
1: Okay. So for as far as marketing, that's one of those things. I just say I was sort of like born with that gift. That's not anything that I studied at school. I didn't get an MBA. I didn't study business or anything. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a household of entrepreneurs. So business and connecting with consumers, it was just something that I just knew about my entire life, you know, as like a five, six, seven year old. I think I started my first business. Probably when I was like eight or nine years old, you know. So that's not anything that I thought about. I didn't really think about marketing as a, you know, um, career or anything. I went to university, you know, pre med. I got a degree in microbiology. I like went medical school program. I was like totally on that path, but just being like a student athlete and studying science, it was just very intense. So I decided after I graduated but I was going to like take this year off before I took the MCAT Mm -hmm. and here we are a whole lifetime later. (laughs) But, um, I was really, always really interested in communications and just, you know, I'm just like one of those entrepreneurs who I think like an entrepreneur and I think about business. I'll go into somebody's shop and be like, you know what you should do? Right. Um, But I really kind of honed that craft and understood my skill as a marketer when I worked at Nike, which, you know, is they're a sneaker sportswear company, but really they're one of the world's greatest marketers, marketing companies. Um, And so things that I just would do, my friend and I always had this joke that we like, we just need a budget. So like there were all these like crazy wild ideas that I had. And then once I worked at Nike and I had access to budgets, I could, you know, implement some of those crazy ideas. And what I realized I was at this global company and I was still coming up with ideas that nobody else at the company was coming up with that they were doing. I mean, there were things that I, some of my ideas that we did in other markets in Taiwan, in Brazil, in Paris, you know, so in Tokyo. So I was like, oh, you know how you think that you're good. But then when you go into and you're in a pool, you know how they're like, okay, can you swim with the sharks though? Yeah, you might've been great in this pool of small fish, but let's see when you get in the pool. And I'm like, okay, I'm here with the sharks and I'm I'm holding my own, you know? So I think that is when I really, really understood that my skill as a marketer, you know, when I worked there and then I just have ever since, Then, you know, kind of worked as a consultant Um, after Nike. I did projects with PepsiCo and other kind of sports fashion companies, Diesel and Pony, Nautica, a bunch of brands. And then, you know, when I came to Ghana, I started working a little bit more on the digital, well, a lot more on the digital side than working with tech startups and just kind of merging all that experience together, working with big brands, working with startups, working with tech. And I just really love entrepreneurs. I love helping people and working with people to build their companies and see things through a marketing
0: perspective. So I guess that Mm -hmm. brings it all full circle. Sure, sure. So, what was that first business when you were eight or nine years old?
1: Um, yeah. Oh my God, I think I did a bunch of things. I I had a sticker club company, and then me and my friends would have our like leaf leaf <laughs> cleaning Break. up service, yeah. snow <laughs> service. I mean, we we did everything. So we, we were always thinking about how we were going to make some money. Okay,
0: okay, <laughs> that's funny. That's cute. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about why the where, because you could have lived anywhere, but you chose Ghana. So what brought you here?
1: Okay. I think that's, you know, interesting because I've been a lot of places. I mean, I feel like I've traveled maybe to like 30 something countries and okay. So I came to Ghana first to do a grad school program in like, 2003. And I will say that I was just not like a fan of Ghana at all. Like Mm -hmm. It was okay, but I just like, it wasn't there yet. Like Ghana in 2003, it just wasn't like, in my opinion, you know, there just wasn't a lot of amenities. It just, and I don't know, it could be that I was like, I was in grad school. So like, maybe I was just in the school world. So I couldn't really, you know, get into the vibe of the city. So it probably just me, I'm not saying it was Ghana because I had a friend who Absolutely loved it. I mean, she would be like, a cry. And I'd be like, really? Mm, I don't see it.
0: Well, I can say when I started coming as an adult, I was looking at it through the lens of a public policy student. And so mm-hmm. I can very much relate to, and this was in the late 90s, I could very much relate to what you you would have seen in, in 2003. So that was before we had the kind of leadership that looked at, at you know, bringing Ghana, from a low-income country to a middle-income country. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, your point is well taken. I mean, I think now if we go to countries like Burkina or Togo, Mm -hmm. maybe not so much Togo, but Benin, we can say the same thing. Like, "Mm, I don't know if it's there, but it it took some visionary leadership to move us into a place where people wanted to come and could more easily contribute. Okay,
1: okay. So like I left Ghana from school. I went back to New York um, where I was already a professional. So it wasn't like I was coming straight from school. I had been out of school already Mm -hmm. for some time. But interestingly enough, at that time, I was thinking like, oh, maybe I would think about, you know, living here, doing some business. But when I got here, I was like, no. So fast forward Mm -hmm. like 10 years later to like 2013, I came, I was doing this, little film screening tour and came to Accra probably like four days. I, it was not more than that. I definitely because I was I did Lagos and I came to Accra probably like four days. So I hadn't been here for 10 years. And then when I came, I was like, oh, okay, Ghana. You know, things had a lot had changed um, mm-hmm. in that 10 years. And also Accra is one of those cities, I would say similar to like uh, LA or something like where you have to be like brought into the loop, right? I mean, you can't just land in a crowd and find the scene. You know, there's no like village really that you can just walk down and be in the vibe of the city, like how a New York park, you know, could be. It's not like that. So when I came on that trip, I had a friend and she sort of like curated my experience. And that is probably like, you know, how I really connected. She's like, this is where we're gonna go. This is who we're gonna see. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. And through that, I kind of like got a different glimpse of the city and really tapped into, you know, what was going on and the vibe. And I was like, I wasn't thinking that, oh, I wanted to move here then. No, I was just here for like quick four days. And then just, I don't know, I felt something. I can't even mm-hmm. give you the exact thing that it was. But I was like, oh, I, I think I need to be here. Right. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I started looking into some opportunities and then I found this fellowship with Mest to work in their incubator. I was really, really interested in tech startups. I just kept saying to myself, I'm like, what is this that people who are like 21 years old are becoming billionaires in their college dorm rooms with this tech stuff? I was like, I got to know more of this. I'm like, not at the early stage of my career, but it's never too late. And I know any industry needs marketing, right? So, you know, got the opportunity to be a fellow at the MESS Incubator. And to be honest, I mean, I was living in New York. I'm one of those people who like, I, you know, I was like, I'll give this as an example. Like you chew a piece of gum. And then all the sugar is gone and you're still chewing it. And you could keep chewing it for a while, but the sugar is gone and it's not sweet anymore. Like I'm one of those people who like anything that I do, like so hardcore, like I do it all. And then when I'm done, there's probably like not a lot left, like the gum, I could just spit it out. So that's how I felt about New York. Like I felt Mm. like I had just done it to the ground. I mean, partied. Party with the stars, part, like owned the business, owned the house. Like, I mean, just did Harlem when Harlem was popping, did Brooklyn when Brooklyn was popping, did Manhattan, like, you know, worked in the music industry, worked in fashion. Like, I just was like, I, I just was like, I didn't see anything. That excited me about probably one of the most exciting cities in the world, right? So then I came here and it just, this was growing, it was bubbling, and I just felt like, hmm, this is a new adventure. Yeah, so that's kind of like what started me on this path here.
0: Mm, okay, interesting. So I like two things that you said, which was that like so many cities, and this is just a tip for local citizens. Oftentimes you have to get into the city to know where you fit into the city. Mm-hmm. So the idea that you have this curated experience, it really does matter. So I've been to many cities where yeah, you feel like an outsider until you don't, because someone has to kind of bring you into the fold. And mm-hmm. a lot of it is culture because mm-hmm. one thing that we have here in Ghana is like very strong school ties. So in the professional community, people gravitate towards people that they went to school with. So Typically, it's your high school, to some extent, it's university, but that's a real base. So without breaking into that, you are kind of outside. And obviously, people come back and they create new new links and you can infiltrate in different ways. But I think the key point is figuring out how do you get in in order to feel welcome enough to stay. So that's a really good point. And I also like that you used a fellowship, like an educational opportunity, in a different way. So first was the thought of grad school, and a lot of people move places for graduate school. But fellowships are an awesome way to give back, kind of, as as you put it, give back and, and contribute to the growth of an industry. So tell us a little bit more about what MEST is like, and tell us what MEST is.
1: Okay, so MEST is Meltwater Entrepreneurial School of Technology, which is um, the owner, the founder of Mest is also the founder of a tech software company that's based in Silicon Valley. They have like offices all over the world, you know, and they do product software. But he had this vision for, you know, just kind of developing the software developers in Ghana, the industry, in Ghana, the tech industry. And he thought that the best way to do it would be to train a whole kind of community of brilliant young Africans. So that's what MEST was kind of set up for. And then after a couple of years, they realized that people were coming through MEST with amazing tech ideas, but because nobody was really looking at investing in African tech and African entrepreneurs, then they set up their own incubator to um, sort of invest in some of those concepts, some of those business ideas, and some of those entrepreneurs. And then they have fellows who come from around the world to either teach at the school or work with the tech companies, the tech startups and the incubator as sort of their business development fellows. So when I came, I did a year working with Ghanaian And Nigerian tech startups and founders. Just really, again, my background is in marketing and communications. And what I found is that's an area that's lacking with most startups, most businesses in general, right? Most businesses in general, but definitely startups and definitely in Ghana, like just people just really don't understand marketing at all. Like they just didn't even you know, they would have all these ideas, they'd have a business plan. And I'm like, well, where's your marketing? And they'd be like, oh, (laughs) like, I mean, I I deal with some multimillion dollar businesses in Ghana that don't have a marketing Mm -hmm. plan, right? So it's Mm -hmm. not even just startups. But I just kind of really helped a lot of them see how to look at their business from a marketing standpoint, how to implement, you know, some basic concepts, how to use you know, communications and media. And what it gave me was that year gave me a chance to kind of was like my launch pad to Ghana, to West Africa, just helped me to sort of like build my network. I get, I, it was like a soft landing, you know? So I mm-hmm. figure if I didn't like it in that one year, then that was fine. I would just go. But if I liked it after a year, then I would figure out what was next. So I didn't really come thinking, oh, I'm going to start a business. Like I didn't really know. I just kept it very, very open. I really kind of thought I was going to like, you know, develop some app idea or something, which I have not done still. I had an idea, (laughs) but I have not developed it, I will say. (laughs) So I wasn't really sure what direction it would take, but I just felt like I follow my instincts a lot. And I just felt like this was where I needed to be. Right. So that's,
0: yeah. Okay. So that that you are here, we want to hear what you hear. So at this point, I asked my guests to share a word, a phrase, or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as local speak.
1: Hmm. Let's see. Okay. So I don't know if there is one particular word, but what I like, you know, I think you said something like, you you know, you can live here as an outsider. And What I realized is a lot of times people come here and they expect the local community, the people here to like be waiting for them with these open arms. And when that doesn't happen, their feelings get hurt. right? Mm-hmm. But I like didn't really need that. Like to me, just being in this space, you know, just being an African-American, I felt like I just needed some time to not live in a society where I'm just kind of like always under attack and, or always like, kind of like being ready to defend myself at all times. Right. So what me being in Ghana, whether people accept me or not, I don't really care because I just needed this time to just live as a human, mm-hmm. you know, not being under assault 24 seven. And then over the time of the past six years, there's things that I appreciate about The place that I didn't even realize, you know, it was as important to me, right? So one is just like this sense of security, right? You know, there are things I didn't even know that I felt insecure about in the U.S. until I came here and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing, right? So As a woman, I feel extremely safe. I always say that I want to like knock on wood because I don't want to like walk outside and some bad thing happen. But Mm -hmm. as as a woman, I feel very, very safe in Accra. You know, it's a major city, but I never feel like, oh, I'm going to get like sexually assaulted or something. Of course it happens. It happens everywhere. Mm -hmm. I think things maybe happen in different kinds of ways here. Maybe like you know, more within homes or, you know, things like that, but yeah. maybe like, you don't feel like you're going to get attacked walking down the street, even at night. Right. So right. It's not a one.
0: Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. So that already, just cause I'm like, there are very few places I've traveled to in the world where I feel like, you know, as a woman, like, you know, nothing's going to happen to me. And then as a black person in the world, not even just you know, in the U S we already know what the U S is like for black people. But I mean, there's so many places that I've traveled to in the world where just subtle little racial things have happened. And as a black person, you're used to just kind of brushing it up. It's just normal. But then when I came here, I'm like, none of that happened. Okay. There were a couple of racial incidents, but you know, those are rare. Mm -hmm. So normally just on my day to day, I just, That's just something I don't ever have to think about ever. Mm -hmm. And that is very liberating. I'm like, I will trade like 24 hours
0: electricity
1: and underdeveloped roads and all that just to just be feeling like a regular human being. Like I can go to any restaurant, any hotel, any business, anything, you know, in my business, I never have to think twice about going and someone, you know, because there are times that I was like pitching as a black consultant in the U S and I'd be like, are they going to not even hear me? Cause I'm black. Like just when I walk in the door, they just might shut me down just because that they might not even be hearing what I'm saying. You know, mm-hmm. I, I never have to really think about that twice here. Mm-hmm. So they're just things that I just feel like I just needed a break. <laughs> right. God. I, and so yeah, Ghana's giving me that space to just be a human being and that's what I appreciate. Aside from the fact that I'm just like immersed in like culture and melanin and sun. I mean, just things that I just love being around anyway. So I- I'm good.
0: Yeah. So I guess the, the sense your your local speak is more a sense of, of security and yeah. liberation, basically. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about how working and transitioning into where you are now and you've done a few things I saw you had a TED talk a TEDx talk recently Mm -hmm. and and you were doing some things around you do a lot of activations so tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit more about how you first of all more about the TED talk and just generally how you go about with these activations and being an effective playing your role effectively here in this in this market.
1: Well, you know what? When I came to Ghana, I just threw out all expectations, right? So I wasn't expecting it to be anything, you know, and I find people who have a slightly more challenging or difficult time here is because they're expecting it to be at a level that it is in the West, right? You know, people should be doing this. They should know this. Why aren't they on time? Like, I just allow Ghana to be Ghana. And let me approach it as it is, not how I feel it should be. So that's how I approach it. That's how I approach business here. That's how I approach, you know, most things. And I find I have less frustration. So that's you know one thing. And then yeah, I did, I did the TED talk and I spoke a bit about, you know, migration and you know, African Americans coming to Ghana, moving to Ghana and what that means, and what it might look like in the future. So that, because I feel like it's the beginning of a movement. I mean, it's not anything new. This kind of like back to Africa sort of talk. But I think when people thought about that in the past, they weren't really thinking that they could live the kinds of lifestyles that they lived in the West, in Africa. I think people thought that that when they came to Africa, they were going to kind of be struggling or, you know, they kind of have like that concept. And um, I think nowadays when people say, they like, oh, it's popping. Like, oh, I can live an amazing life, the same life that I lived in New York, LA, Atlanta, but I could be in Ghana. Wow. Who knew? Mm-hmm. So um, I think as people start to see that as an option. And then once you're here, you're going to have to adapt or you won't survive, right? So you're going to have to adapt to the pace of life here. You're going to have to adapt to the way people speak. You're going to have to adapt to the culture. You know, all those things are going to happen naturally or you just will have to go back home or wherever you're from. So, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. So it's definitely an adaption that that's happening. But I appreciate that. I welcome that. And um, I like winning, so I'm like, "Oh, these are the new rules. Okay, so let me adjust to these rules." So
0: right, yeah. right. Oh, that's a good point. You like winning, mm-hmm. and so you have to adjust to be a winner. That's mm-hmm. the, the bottom line, ultimately. You you said something about how you had been doing a film tour before. So yeah. to taking a little bit of a step aside from the marketing, you are a filmmaker as well. Tell us yes. a little bit more about that project.
1: Well. I have always been interested in film, but I, you know, never kind of focused on that fully. Um, But I did make a documentary many years ago about hip hop music and culture around the world and how it was impacting young people. So I traveled to like eight different international cities, you know, from Cuba to Japan, Europe, Brazil, South Africa. And this was like, pretty much, I would say at the late 90s, early 2000s, when a lot of those countries were really at the beginning stages of their hip hop scenes, you know, so I talked with a lot of pioneers from that in those places. So yeah, that was like, you know, I kind of like have, I'm like left brain, right brain, so technical side, but then I always have this creative side that I have to feed at the same time. So Mm. yes. And it's, it's funny enough that no matter what, those filmmaking skills somehow always come in handy. Even this week, I was working on a proposal and I I needed to edit some video. And I was like, this is such a good skill to have. So yeah, you,
0: yeah. you never yeah. know when
1: it's going to come in handy.
0: Right. So the name of the film was?
1: The name of the film was Hip Hop, The New World Order. Yep. So it's on social media. It's not been updated that much, but it's Hip Hop is Global on social okay. media but yeah. So, so yes. Now it's interesting though, because when I was in Paris and Tokyo and, you know, all these places, the hip hop artists, they were at the beginning and now they're like huge artists. So many of the artists that are in the doc and it's really gritty and it's guerrilla style. Like not, I'm not trying to say like, it's some major film. It is like, I probably like Looks like I made it on my phone. Okay, it's bad, but it's, it's it's got some good, interesting footage. You feel like you're you're there with them. Most of them have become really, really big in their perspective in their respective countries. You know, they've yeah. done commercials and movies, and they're like the big dogs of hip hop. You know, in those countries. So, um, yeah. and a lot of universities have actually used the film in their courses, especially on ethnomusicology and anthropology. And I've had the opportunity to like speak and share it at Oxford and Harvard and Yale and lots of different universities. So, yeah, people use it definitely in academic in academia as a tool, as a resource, because that footage is rare because there wasn't a lot of people, you know, right. capturing that those people and that music at that time.
0: Right, right, right. And I've seen the film and it's not as bad as you're you're describing. It's a good good film. I'm like, what? I enjoyed watching it, huh? (laughs) Okay,
1: all right, good, good. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, so speaking of different ways of thinking, so one way, one thing I wanted to kind of touch on is a lot of the barriers to thinking about moving are financial. So mm-hmm. what are the things that you thought of or that you set in place so that that wasn't so much of an issue for you? Like you already mentioned that you had the, the soft landing with with the fellowship. So that was a great that's a yeah. great way to segue. But on an ongoing basis, what can we kind of share with other people thinking about contemplating how they can, you know, move borders? What are your thoughts on that?
1: OK, yes, yes. OK, so right. This is not a place that you come and get a job, right? Because I think coming from the West, that's how we operate. You get a good job and that kind of like supports you and your lifestyle. Like, you know, it's very, very limited number of jobs that pay international salaries, I will say, that you could survive mm-hmm. on, right? right? So one of the most important things is, you know, to have some kind of stream of income that you're still able to get from the US, from UK, from Canada, wherever you're from, can you figure out how to get just some, some, even if it's minimal, some stream Mm -hmm. of income coming in from that place? I think that is very, very important because it can be a a bit difficult, especially at the beginning to kind of have, unless you kind of have a good international job or something, and like I said, there's very few people who are going to have that. So otherwise, if you just want to come here, you know, kind of, have like a, a stream of income coming in. I wouldn't even say just to have your savings because money goes very, very fast here. Right. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, it would be good if you had a little something coming in, even if you do some little consulting, some little, you got a, a sublet your apartment. I don't know what, but that, I would say that's definitely the mm-hmm. first step. And mm-hmm. then the second thing is that, you know, my same friend who curated my first, you know, my second, like kind of Ghana experience when I finished the fellowship, I was looking for something that would keep me in Ghana. So I was looking for a job and I got offered a job and it was like at a Ghana salary. But now looking back, it was at a good Ghana salary, but still was at a Ghana salary. And when I converted that to USD, I was like, Lord, this money <laughs> I made when I was like 18 years old.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: But again, she gave me some really great advice. She was like, just take the job. She was like, you're going to yeah. figure out how to make more money while you're here. And I was just right. like, that was a hard decision to make. I'm not going to lie. I was like, this little money, this money is so small. Oh my God, what am I going to do with this? Sure. But to be honest, I was like, as long as I have this saying, let, Ghana needs to cover Ghana, meaning, The money that I make in Ghana needs to cover my Ghana lifestyle. So I need to be able to travel around. I need to be able to eat and I need, you know, just to be able to basic things. So if the money that I'm making in Ghana can do that, then I can figure it out. And so that was something, some great advice. I definitely tell everyone that all the time. Yeah. So, okay. You might not be getting some thousand, hundred thousands of dollar job, but can the money that you make in Ghana support you in Ghana? So mm-hmm. um, I, I think that was the first step before I even started a business. Cause you cannot just, that's a thing. You cannot just land here and start a business. You right. have to figure out the lay of the land. You got to know who's who you got to, know who are the right people. You gotta know the names. You gotta know how it is when you go to a meeting with gun names. I mean like these are things you just gotta take some time to understand. So I would say definitely people are looking to come, do not rush. Don't rush. You you yeah. need to give yourself time. One year minimum before yeah. you can really, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of figure it out. Cause you're right. gonna if not you're gonna you're gonna lose and waste a lot of money and time.
0: Right, right, right. One of the points you just made about when you go to a meeting with someone in Ghana, this COVID thing is really changing the way that we are going to be operating. And so Mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm like, I hope that this really indicates to people that we don't have to have a meeting in order to move on anything, because that that's my that's my biggest complaint about, you know, doing things in Ghana. Like before you can even start talking, you have to go and meet the person, mm-hmm. they have to see mm-hmm. you, whatever qualifications they want to do. And it's a bit of a waste of time when a, a lot of it can be done by, you know, a friend of mine was telling me, she said, I had a job where I had to fly to Botswana to mm-hmm. read my emails to them because they wouldn't otherwise read their emails. Yeah. And so that was the point of my going and it didn't it didn't move the project forward any massive, it, it, well, that's what triggered moving the project forward generally, but had they read the emails, it could have moved forward in a whole different way sooner. So I'm I'm looking forward to some of greater efficiencies as a result of yeah. the sacrifice we're making now.
1: I want to respond to that. I mean, I definitely think it will. I mean, because we're doing things people in Ghana like would never have done before. But one yeah. thing I would like to say to that is that, you know, indigenous people around the world, you know, not just African. They kind of I feel like they have these kind of like because when you're connected to the lands and the Mm -hmm. earth and the sun, like you have a bit of, you know, your telepathic powers are heightened. Right. So when people see you in person, they're reading you. Right. Mm -hmm. They're getting an understanding about you. That's beyond the words that you say. And I feel like that is something that happens (laughs) here definitely but definitely like in places all over the world where there are indigenous people when they see you and they feel you they're giving you they're doing a reading on you almost and then they're going to make some decisions you know based on that they don't know that they're doing it I'm, so i'm i'm just saying that that's my own observation i don't think mm. that anybody would say i need to see you cuz i want to do a reading you i don't think it's like that but right. you know there are things that happen And then there are other things, you know, there are a lot of, like, internet scams and stuff like that. So, But but I do think people want to see you in person. They want to see your eyes. They want to feel your energy. And then they're like, okay. So I think a combination is going to happen, right? We got to move forward. Like, it cannot be all these meetings. You are right. Woo! But I do have a somewhat understanding
0: about it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I feel you. I mean, I that's part of the reason why the social distancing is a bit challenging now. Right. Because Mm -hmm. that's just not our way. We're not socially distant. We interact with each other. So. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a good point. That's a good tip for people to know that it's cultural and it's there's more meaning behind it than just I want to see you in a point blank kind of way. So that brings me to my next question, which is my mindset hack. So I ask, what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? And it's one that you can imagine, one that you already know of, one that you practice. What do you have for us?
1: So I would definitely say like just one thing that I like to do is do every single thing that I can think of to make it work. Right. So I'm just like not an excuse person. I mean, even if I'm working for a client or something, I just hate to come back to them with an excuse. So I like to do every single thing that I can think of that's in my power to get the job done. So that's mm-hmm. how I approach like everything. Um, no excuses. I just am, yeah no excuses. And just, you know, have I done everything? Have I done everything that I possibly could have done? When it's over and when it, the job is done, you know, I hate to like have regrets or think about, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. So I definitely try to do it all, do everything yeah. that I
0: can. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. That's a great one. So Mahana, this has been such a cute, nice Conversation. We've we've compacted. It. I know your time is valuable, so I don't want to take a lot of your time. Yeah. But I, I love the way that you've kind of encapsulated this idea of really being a global citizen. That's, that's mm-hmm. wonderful. And so as we're getting to the close of our conversation, I like to ask yeah. my guests, you know, something that's a little bit off the cuff, that's a little maybe not so businessy or what have you. So tell us, what are you listening to these days?
1: Oh, okay. Funny enough, I just found this old USB
0: that had, like, mm-hmm.
1: all this, like, old school soul music on on it. And I'm, like, so excited about that. So it's got, like, D'Angelo and Raphael Sadiq Ooh, and, nice. like, you know, yeah. Javi. <laughs> so Lauren Hill. So I'm just like, yeah, I mean, so I've been vibing on that, like, the past couple of weeks. But, okay. I mean, just... Yeah. And then just being here in Ghana, like, of course, I'm just like Afro beats all day, every day. But, you know, I had to go back to my old school soul. So that's what I've been vibing on lately.
0: OK, good. Nice. Um, so do you have any other closing comments you'd like to share with our guests?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, I just I definitely think that you have to get out and explore the world you know i i think what's happening right now where people are shut down they're on the lockdown you never understood before how important it is to take these opportunities you know Like it really could be the end. I know that not to sound like that, but you know what I mean? Like now I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to get out into the world. There's so many more places that I need to see that I need to do. So, I mean, I just would just encourage people to just get out, explore. This whole world is for us. You know, we don't have to be in one place. You can, you can have that choice, but you know, Mm -hmm. it's just such an enriching experience to get out and meet people from other places taste other foods and listen to other music. So I just definitely would encourage people to do that as much. Yeah. As well, that.
0: That's, that sparks another question for me. And I promise this a little last one. Okay. Um, what is your most memorable experience in your travels?
1: Oh, oh my God. Um, wow. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? You know what? I mean, definitely when I was making that documentary, like, I had a lot because it was just me by myself, Mm -hmm. immersing myself in these places with these people. So I mean, I just had the opportunity to be in the hoods in Alamar in Cuba or La Banlia in Paris, like, you know, in like the favelas in Brazil, like, really get so deep down with the people. Mm -hmm. I mean, even for me right now, like I, most third places that I have gone in the world, I have never like, You know, I don't even know. I think I've been to Brazil maybe like four or five times and maybe like once I went to like the Christ statue or maybe the Sugarloaf. Like most times I'm not interested in anything to do with whatever it's touristy. I want to feel the people. So that probably is one of like, you know, the experiences that I love the most about traveling. Is that, you know, just really connecting with just regular everyday people, hanging out with them, doing things that like locals do. I, I love living as a local. Yeah, I would say that. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wonderful. And on that note, local citizens, this has been another episode of the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. We're here yes. every Tuesday with a new episode and you can find us always at GlocalCitizensPod.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast. Please do subscribe and comment. We love to hear from you. And Mohammed, any last words?
1: Oh, yeah. Follow us at Waxprint Media on all social media platforms, Print Media.
0: Okay. And we'll have a lot of what we just discussed in the show notes. So never fear. You can always follow up on a number of the things we've discussed in the show notes, learn more about my guest. So we are signing off from Accra, Ghana. Bye for now.